Hello and welcome to the fourth episode of TP with TP. That's the podcast with Tom Polos. We have an amazing program for you guys today. From the Grammy Museum, Tracy Strand joins me, as does singer-songwriter Nicholas Wells. Also, a guy from my apartment complex claims he's going to drop by. I'll believe it when I see it. Hopefully you guys will hear it. You're listening to the podcast with Tom Polos, a.k.a. TP with TV. Welcome back to TP with TP. I'm here at the Grammy Museum with the Director of External Affairs, Miss Tracy Strand. Am I saying that right, Strand? You are. Excellent. Uh, and we're here at one of my favorite recent additions to Los Angeles, <clears throat> which is located at LA Live in the heart of downtown Los Angeles. And this place goes by the Grammy Museum. And um, the Grammy Museum, correct me if I'm wrong, was established in December of 2008. Correct. And that was in large part to commemorate the 50th anniversary of the original Grammy Awards. Yes. And although when I first came, I thought the Grammy Museum was going to be a shrine to my great-grandmother, Grammy, it is actually uh, dedicated to the biggest night in music and the industry, the music industry, that is, the Grammy Awards. And what I love about the Grammy Museum, it sort of explores and celebrates every single type of music, every single type of artist, and it has the ability to bring in new faces while celebrating history. Um, first off, I'd like to say thank you for coming on the show. Oh, it's my pleasure. And I'd like to ask you, what do you think the Grammy Museum does a good job in celebrating, and how do you think it does uh, balancing, bringing in people, and celebrating the history of music? Well, the Grammy Museum is, is very unique in that we are really, I think, the only music museum um, that covers all genres. Uh, we have an interactive, we're, we're really a museum of the 21st century. There's nothing, any, anything like us anywhere. And up on our fourth floor, um, we're actually 30,000 square feet and we're four floors high. We have an interactive called Crossroads where you can actually learn about 166 musical genres. Most music museums are genre specific. They're, you know, a blues museum or a country music museum, etc. But we do our best to cover every kind of music worldwide, not just in the U.S., and show how they integrate and how they all work together. Now, how does the museum go about deciding what specific exhibit to bring in or what to keep in their permanent collection? Well, it's interesting. When you open a new museum, there is no permanent collection. True. Everything's on loan. So right now, since we're only three years old, pretty much everything's on loan. We're just beginning a permanent collection. So it really depends on what's available to us, what's happening in the marketplace, um, who we think our demographic is, and catering to them so we get people to come to the museum. The the challenge of opening a museum uh, like this is people have their own preconception of what it is. We are very different than, than pretty much anybody's preconception, being that we're very interactive, we are uh, very three-dimensional, uh, we're very hands-on. Uh, so what we do here is a little bit different, and the way that we get people to come is by changing out our exhibits every three to eight months and making this a living, breathing, uh, educational entity. The, the Grammy Museum is actually uh, what we call a 501c3 nonprofit. I'd like to buy a vowel. 501c3. Oh, yeah, my there Lord. There you go. 501c3 nonprofit educational institution. And everything that we do here uh, is about 
music education. That's our mission. That's something I noticed online when I was checking out the site and something I've noticed when I've explored. Um, you have a lot of backing and funding in that sense. What separates this museum's educational enrichment programs from other museums and what do you do? Oftentimes I see you, you will bring in teachers at no cost so they can explore before they bring in. Well we do that but we also bring in during the school year roughly between 800 and 1,000 school kids a week um, for tours, education programs. Uh, this year during the school year we're, we have over 120 uh, education events during the mornings and afternoons. Um, so what we do here, I don't know whether it's different than other museums, but it's certainly a robust educational program. What is Music Cares and how does that work with the Grammy Awards and the Grammy Museum? Well, this is a good question. The, Thank we, you. the museum is co-owned by two major entities. The Recording Academy, which used to be called NARIS, the National Academy of Recording Arts and Sciences. And that's who started the Grammy Award itself. That's right. Um, so one of our parents is the Recording Academy. The other parent is AEG, the very, very Who runs large. LA Live. That's correct. All right. And LA Live, by the way, the hottest new spot in Los Angeles. Yeah, it is. Right across is the Staples Center. ESPN has their sports center studio here. A lot going on. Yeah. Nokia Theater Club. Yes. Nokia Congo the Room. The Congo Room. I almost called it the Bongo Room. But I keep hearing bongo drums. That's yeah. probably why. So, and, you know, I think there are 22 restaurants. Um, it, it's really an incredible place. And the Grammy Museum is really the cultural heartbeat of LA Live. And well, what's interesting about the Grammy Museum also is it, it you're right, it's, it's also the footpath of LA Live because when you walk around you see on the tiles of the ground the sort of embedded gold or records that's right. that celebrate each artist of the year, each record of the year, each. And so that's, that's pretty cool because it's your own walk of fame. You that's don't have to exactly go to Hollywood to celebrate history. That's exactly what it is. And my understanding, and correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm often wrong, as my family tells me, is that uh, the Grammys were started because they wanted to celebrate the history and the artists of people that probably wouldn't have gotten that star on the mm -hmm. Walk of Fame, that wouldn't have been remembered, but still within their own industry should be celebrated and should be recognized and remembered in their own way. Indeed. And so they've given out almost 9,000 Grammys since they've started. And mm -hmm. You know, I'll get one one day. Oh, but, I hope so. Yeah, not yet. I mean, you know, I'm, at the end of this interview, I'm sure I'll be awarded one. <laughs> um, so what I was getting to is that there are actually three nonprofit arms of the Recording Academy. There is the Grammy Foundation. There's Music Cares that benefits uh, musicians in need. And then there is also the Grammy Museum. We're sort of the new kid on the block. and. This was something that was in the works for about 10 years, the planning process, and we were able to make this come alive three years ago. So there are three nonprofit arms of the Recording Academy who all do different things. How does the Grammy Museum work directly with the Grammy Awards, or is it just, is it that much separate? It's fairly separate, but we are involved. Um, our executive director is Bob Santelli, who helped create the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in Cleveland and was the CEO of the Experience Music Project in Seattle. Um, Bob sits on uh, the, what, what's called the TV committee and <laughs> that make all of the decisions. Um, he is integrally involved in all uh, matters of Grammy that have to do with the museum. And, you know, it, we are partners and we're separate at the same time. We're both. But during the week prior to the Grammy Awards, we call it Grammy Week. Grammy Week. <laughs> and at, we have things going on here at the museum all day. And the thing that we haven't touched on that's probably one of the more important parts of the museum are our public programs. 
And we have a 200-seat state-of-the-art live theater. The Clive Davis Theater. Exactly. Within the museum where we do live events, uh, we do concerts, uh, lecture series, film screenings, all sorts of things. And every night uh, of Grammy Week, we will have a special event here. Um, for instance, uh, one night we have Glenn Campbell. Another night we have America. So it's going to be quite a week. I've, and I've seen online you've, you've had dozens to hundreds of amazing artists perform there from Lady Gaga to uh, Andrea Bocelli yeah and you have a whole exhibit on all these people and then they come in and do these live shows it must be really gratifying what happens when an artist comes through the Grimm Museum have you had an experience with um, a musician walking through the museum or seeing how they react to I have to say and, and yes I'm biased but I do have to say that the reaction that we get from artists and managers and uh, jaded agents um, <laughs> it is LA is remarkable they are blown away they are excited they want to contribute if they hadn't seen the museum they want they get inspired it's it's really been quite gratifying watching this process speaking of contributing in the Clive Davis theater people have the capability to buy a seat but, yeah, um, we have 200 seats, and because we're a nonprofit institution, we look for all sorts of ways to fundraise. Mm -hmm. And so the seats within the museum, uh, within the theater, can be purchased for uh, $1,500 for uh, three years or $2,000 for five years. And all that money is tax deductible and gets uh, put towards music education. The Grammy Museum is filled with fantastic exhibits. Right now it has an exhibit on George Harrison, uh, and it's called The Material, what is it? In the Living in the Material World. Living in the Material, yes, thank you. And uh, it was done in conjunction with Olivia Harrison, George's widow, and it's the first time these articles have ever been on display. It will not tour, and so it's really a very special, about 2,500 square foot exhibit um, that is tied into the book that oh, that was published uh, at the same time of our opening, and also the HBO Martin Scorsese uh, event that that was uh, about four hours long. Um, it's it's an incredible exhibit, one of the most remarkable things we've done here at the museum, and it was supposed to end uh, February 13th, but we've extended it now through March 25th because there's been such a response. Um, it's it's a pretty remarkable exhibit. So what else is upcoming for the Grimm Museum? As you say, stuff has to be coming in, stuff has to be coming out because it's an Always. ongoing process. Um, but what do you have? I know you have an amazing exhibit going on, Elvis in the Movies. Yes, this is Elvis, I, I love it. I love Elvis, huge fan, uh, and, I, so, and especially movies. So it's really tugging on my heartstrings. So tell me about this exhibit and then what else is to Well, come. it's actually more of a display. It's a smaller exhibit, and it's just for the month of January. And every January is Elvis month because we celebrate his birthday, and he is the king. Mm -hmm. So it's um, good to be that's, the king. Yes, it's good to be the king. <laughs> so um, that's for January. But you may have heard in Los Angeles there is uh, a Getty-sponsored major art event called Pacific Standard Time, and what that is is art in Los Angeles from 1945 to 1980, and over 60 uh, museums are doing specially designed exhibits to celebrate just that. 
So our exhibit that we're going to be opening on February 22nd in support of Pacific Standard Time is called Trouble in Paradise. It's um, music in Los Angeles from 1945 to 1975. And that's going to be a great exhibit. We're really excited about that. And that will go through June 3rd. And then our big exhibit. When George Harrison leaves on March 25th, we will then uh, dismantle that one, and on April 11th, in conjunction with Golden Gods, drum roll, please. The first real heavy metal exhibit that's hey. ever been done. So it, it will feature every heavy metal artist you've ever thought of, yeah. and it will be, as the staff says, rad. Yeah. <laughs> so there'll be a lot of screaming. Yeah, it's gonna be actually, yeah, we're, there are gonna be some real surprises. With it. <laughs> and we'll have public programs that go along with that, and it'll be really exciting. It'll be really, really fun. What do you do to, with with an exhibit like heavy metal or an exhibit like rap? Wh where do you guys bring in the experts for that? Do you tap into specific artists and say, what do you think would be good for this? Do you just go to music historians? Where is the gap? Well, it's it's a collective. The thing about art staff is it's very small, and we all work very much as an ensemble, as a collective. And most of us are music people and have different uh, strengths in different genres. So we have people on our staff that are actually heavy metal experts. In addition to that, we go to um, uh, writers, we go to bloggers, we go to the artists, we go, we go, you know, to anyone that knows, and we utilize as much information as we can. But well, th that's what I like about it. This really feels like a like a tight knit family. It feels like there's a very human element to this it, museum. There is. Uh, and so, with that human element, do you ever get starstruck, or, or do you, is there an artist you're pining to celebrate for you personally? For me personally, well, I'm one of the older people on the staff, and so, you know, there are some people that I, I would love to have here at the museum, and two of them are certainly Joni Mitchell or Bruce Springsteen. Hey. Those are two people I would, I I love, would love to have I here. I just checked out Bruce Springsteen's new Wrecking Ball. Uh -huh. I'm pretty excited about it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So those are artists that, that, that are personal favorites, but you know, I've been in the music business most of my life and been a concert promoter and whatnot, and love lots of music in all different genres and all different countries. So I'm interested in a lot of different things. And that's what the Grammy Awards show does, because yes. the, the museum would not be the museum without the awards. Um, so what what are we looking forward to for this year's Grammys? I see that LL Cool J is hosting. Yes, he is. He took my gig. Uh, and you also have uh, performances for the first time live, Coldplay and Rihanna together. Yes. And like I said, Paul McCartney will be coming on stage. Uh, what else do we have to look forward to with the 54th annual Grammys? I'm going to let you tune in on February 12th on Look at that CBS. teaser. It's like we planned that. Yeah, I'm uh, going to let you tune into that because there are going to be some great surprises. That's right. And that's something also I like about the Grammys because it's a literal gramophone that the uh, that it's based off of. The, yeah, the trophy, symbol. Yeah. The symbol, the gramophone. And it's nice because the Grammys celebrates history in that way because originally I read that they were going to make it, call it the Eddie after Thomas Edison. That's right. And then they decided, well, let's just celebrate an invention of his, the gramophone. Um, and it's kind of funny because, you know, no one really knows about the gramophone or if anyone has one, it's ironic or it's like a piece of their, you know, furniture. It's not, you know, they don't celebrate the iPoddy. That's or the, right. Uh, the iPaddy. Not yet, at least. Yeah. There'll, there'll probably be some Steve Job Award. We're going to tune in on February 12th. Yes. 2012. 2-12-12. For the 54th. For the 54th annual Grammy Awards hosted by LL Cool J across the street at Staples Center. So it's just a short jaunt from the Grammy Museum, and you should all check it out. It's at LA Live. Um, those of you who aren't in Los Angeles, I'm sorry. Get here. Check out the museum. 
And we're open every day. We're only closed on Thanksgiving and Christmas, so we're here seven days a week. Music never sleeps, and that is the Great Museum. Tracy, I want to thank you so much for coming on TP with TP and taking the time to share your expertise My and pleasure. knowledge with us. So thank you. Thank you. All right, welcome back to TP with TP. I am here with singer-songwriter Nicholas Wells from the great state of New York. Nick, thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks a lot for having me. Of course. Well, what we'd like to do, which we always do with our very talented and deserving artists, is get the exposure they deserve by promoting your songs, promoting your tunes, um, whether it be your tunes or iTunes or my tunes. And uh, <laughs> we're going to put them out right away, so we're going to give a snippet to our audience, if that's okay with you. Oh, great, thanks. Here's uh, a piece from the song called A Little Bit by Nicholas Wells from the album titled Something to Believe In. Ah, yes. Something to Believe In. So here's A Little Bit. At least if winter's been so long, the trees grow buds again. Well, that was great. <laughs> we really hope you enjoyed that. Sorry to our audience members who had to endure all of that. But, you know, there's only... I guess that was a little bit of a little bit. Yeah, yeah there's only so much we can do. Um, but now here's more than a little bit of a little bit. And uh, feast your ears on this. A Little Bit by Nicholas Wells. At least if winter's been so long, the trees grow buds again. At least if night is gonna come, the world will tell me when. And sometimes all I need is something to believe in. A breath of warmer air to help me keep on breathing. And as it turns out, nothing really can be known for sure. No sign to tell me how much more of this that I'll endure No strength to see a path beyond my clouded vision I know we're living every wrong decision All I need is a little bit of hope to keep me going on But there's just no light before the dawn
I really like about that song, Nick, is um, it's sort of filled with hope and range. Now, Obama's all about hope and change, but Nicholas Wells is all about hope, <laughs> hope and, and range. range. <laughs> you have an amazing voice, and something that impresses me about you that always has is your ability to play multiple instruments, lay them down on your tracks, I suppose. Um, how many instruments do you play on your own album, if any, or do you hire out workers? How does that work? Well, I uh, I play piano and I play uh, guitar and uh, in you know in high school. Do you have whenever... fun with guitars? <laughs> in high school, I you know played trumpet and uh, so that I guess counts as another instrument. But I would mainly say uh, piano and guitar. And uh, the funny thing is, I learned guitar because when I was younger, I used to make all these recordings of my own songs and. Uh, I would record piano, and I thought to myself, hmm, I, I'd really like a guitar on this recording, and I couldn't find any friends to come play guitar for me, so uh, I guess I'll learn guitar. Uh, so I just kind of found a book and took what I knew on piano, and after, I guess, all these years, I, I feel like I could somewhat play. Now, with piano songs and guitar songs, uh, it's oftentimes hard to make it your own, but you find a way to do it. Who do people say you sound like, if anyone, and who do you think you sound like? And there's is there a divide in those two opinions from the public and your own personal opinion? I don't really try to, to sound like an artist that I really like. I certainly take, uh, take certain sounds that I like, and uh, w when I write a song, it's really... It's really just what I want to hear, and people have said that I, yeah, I sound like a blend of various different artists, and... Uh... I like to think you sound like yourself, too, and that's sort of the best way to create an identity is to be your own artist, and I really respect that. But I, what I do know also about you is that you have the ability to cover artists, and you have the ability to create um, a new version of music you already appreciate. And I've seen some of your stuff on uh, YouTube, but before we get to that... Let's get to another original piece. This one's called A Dream in My Pocket. What do we know about that? This is a new single, yeah? Oh, yeah. I just released this recently. so uh, this We is are up on... so lucky to be hearing this. <laughs> yeah, this is up on iTunes, just to, you know, slip in the little plug there. And, I've heard uh, of iTunes. I, I, think, <laughs> I think I have as well. Um, yes. Yes. Um, the interesting thing about A Dream in My Pocket, I think, is uh, it has a very upbeat and, and catchy driving melody and uh, it, it kind of has like a lively feel, but it's in contrast to the, uh, the lyrical themes of, of almost of desperation and discouragement about things. And um, Yeah, you get that feeling when you're listening to it. There's definitely a certain attitude to it. Definitely. It's, more of, it's definitely more of an attitude song than my other ones, which, which do have a lot of emotion. This one is a little more uh, aggressive, I guess, and uh, I had a lot of fun making it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's that right blend of aggressive and bubbly and powerful at the same time, and we're going to give our audience a chance to check it out. This is uh, A Dream in My Pocket, the single from Nicholas Wells. Yeah, single and willing to mingle? <laughs> at least your music. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> All right, here it is by Nicholas Wells, Dream in My Pocket.
by Nicholas Wells. Now, tell me about the recording process. Tell me about making the entire album, albums for artists, to me, sounds like a painful birth. You spent months, years, creating this baby of yours, and then all of a sudden you have to just do it again. You can't really dwell in it. You can't really, uh, you have to evolve, adapt, or die. You gotta get all Darwin on the music industry. Um, exactly. How do you feel about the album process? How do you feel about music industry right now? Um, is there anything surprising as a young artist that you found while going into it? Well, one of the things that I, I guess really took me by surprise, even though it really shouldn't have, I guess, is uh, how many young artists are out there trying to do the exact same thing and how many are really good. Um, I have uh, the the process of you know in making my album. It took uh, the something to believe in took me about two years actually of uh, a lot of hard work and and uh, I I really produced and arranged the whole thing and and 
uh, thought really hard about where, how exactly the mood of every song I wanted to get it to sound exactly like I heard it in my head when I first wrote it. And um, the thing is, and releasing that, it was, it was so awesome to get such a positive response from everybody who was following me online and everything. And, uh, and it, the thing is, though, you can get caught up in just trying to get your stuff out there and trying to make uh, connections. And, and you, at the end of the day, you really just have to remember that it's about doing it because you love it. And that's, uh, that's what keeps me going, is just really, I, I can't just stop writing music. It's just what I really want to and need to do, and I love doing it. And that's what really keeps me pumping out new stuff. Yeah, and something I like about the music community is that it seems uh, like a collective in, in many ways. People, um, although they're creating their own stuff, creating their own sound, even creating their own labels, whatever it may be, they're still always looking to collaborate with people, always looking to see what, see what other people are coming up with. Have you been able to collaborate with anyone in particular? Uh, in... In writing, I haven't. I've really just been writing uh, myself. But in the whole recording process, I, I work with uh, many different people, and I have uh, a couple of really good friends at this point. Now that we uh, we have almost, you know, the production down pat of it, we know exactly how we like to work together. And uh, and I even on my last album, I got some really fantastic players uh, on on drums and. Uh, on uh, on strings, we ha I had a, a cellist uh, named Dave Egger. Who now a uh, Dave Egger? Was... Correct me if I'm wrong. He is a guy we've all maybe not heard of, but we've definitely heard him pluck certain strings on a certain Coldplay album on a certain Viva La Vida. Yeah, you've, yeah, he's he's the entire string section on Viva La Vida overtubbed. Um, oh my god! Yeah, so, you, so the most popular hook in the past three years is on Nicholas's uh, album. Yeah, the <laughs> the person responsible for it. Yes. <laughs> um, wow. Yeah. Well, that's. Uh, I was so excited the first time when we recorded strings on uh, my my album something to believe in because that was really the first studio album i was able to do and to sit there and watch my string arrangements suddenly come to life with these awesome players it was just such an incredible feeling and uh you know just gave me chills to hear it you know for the first time absolutely you've, you've got no strings to hold you down and yet <laughs> they're tugging on the heart strings in that sort of way well, Nicholas, you talk a lot about being in the studio quite a bit, but there's no greater rush or adrenaline than being live on stage. I know that for you must be true. Oh, definitely. So do you have any live gigs coming up where we can see you in person, in the flesh? <laughs> well, right now I'm actually uh, filling up the spring schedule for, uh, okay, for shows. Trent. And uh, so, <laughs> uh, and, and I'm going to try and get the, the summer going. Uh, I'm going to try and make myself really busy. And uh, right now I'm playing pretty locally around uh, New York and Connecticut and over the summer I'm going to really hope to travel a bit and uh, play some shows out uh, but in the meantime you know whenever I can even if I don't have a show booked I've been uh, heading out to local open mics and just playing and it's just been great to play for people and, and captivate an audience I guess and I've been playing uh, with a, a friend who plays bass with me and then a violinist and we've been going as an acoustic trio and uh it's been really fun. Ooh, I like the sound of acoustic trio. Now, talk about nabbing yeah. an audience. There's so many ways now, more than ever before, to do that with social media, whether it be through Facebook, through Twitter, through YouTube. Um, are there any places that we can find you 
Sir Nicholas Wells. I mean, you'll be a sir eventually. Oh, certainly, uh, <laughs> sir Tinley. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, sir. Let's start with uh, let's start with Twitter. What's your what's your handle, as they say? Uh, Can you handle it? My uh, my Twitter name is Nicholas G Wells. Oh, because you're a G. Yes, well, you know, Nicholas Wells was taken, and uh, <laughs> I guess someone got there first. G, right. If we wanted to find some of your awesome stuff on Facebook, where would we go? My Facebook is uh, facebook.com slash Nicholas Wells Music, and uh, you can follow me on there, and also um, it would be great uh, to go to my, my homepage, nicholaswellsmusic.com, and add yourself to my mailing list, because then I you know, have a... A direct access to you to let you know of uh, what nicholaswellsmusic.com does, which I really appreciate, is they tend to send out free downloads. Whether he's doing a cover of someone or exactly. just is releasing a song, he'll send you it for free. Everything's better when it's free, and you'll also get <laughs> updates on when he's clipping his toenails, when he's painting his nails, um, all that fun stuff. So head to nicholaswellsmusic.com. You can find him live. You can find him on the interwebs. But most importantly, you can find him on TP with TP. That's the podcast with Tom Polos. Nick, we want to thank you very much for taking the time. Uh, for Oh, thanks so much, Tom. For, for joining us and sharing your talents um, and, and your candid conversation. And I already have dream in my pocket stuck in my head. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I'd rather have nothing else stuck in my head. So um, take it easy, and we'll catch you next time on TP with TP. All right, thanks. All right, that's our program. We really want to thank you for taking the time to check us out with... Uh, Hello? Oh, hey, guy from my apartment complex. Fancy meeting you here. Uh, Que pasa, mi hombre? Uh, Hola. I I speak mostly English. Oh, yeah, sorry. Um, That was all my years of French helping me. How are you? (laughs) Très bien. (laughs) Um, But go on. Tell me um, a little bit. Speaking of um, speaking different languages, you travel. I know that about you. Something I admire about you. Please tell me about your travels, Gulliver. Where Uh, have you been? uh, Well, I I just got back from, I think, the longest trip of my life. It was uh, 22,000 miles, all told. Wow. What a strange trip it's been. What Mm -hmm, happened? Indeed. Uh, I started out here in Los Angeles, flew to my hometown of Tampa for the holidays, and then caught a Christmas Eve flight to Seoul, spent a few weeks in Seoul. Seoul is in South Korea. Seoul is in South Korea. Wow. Uh, so or Seoul and Jeju Island, mm-hmm. um, and then came back. Went on a. Road is this trip. is this your first time on Jeju Island? I don't think so. This is not once on this island. You've been to Jeju before, yeah. Uh, this is this is twice on this island. The same island. Ah yes. Uh, Deja. Boo. Deja Jeju. That's my French having again. <laughs> Uh, then I came back, drove a friend's car to Texas, and... Drove I, a friend's car to Texas? Was yes. he in the car? Yes, yes, okay. he was. He was in the car. He's moving to Texas. I left him in Texas. <laughs> okay. Um, he's an ex-roommate of mine. Oh. Uh, one more ex in Texas. Yeah, good, good. <laughs> well, guy from the apartment complex, you always like hearing about um, uh, people you've lived with, um, as we uh, know you in this apartment complex. So, tell me why this was such a wonderful trip. You know, I, I like flying. I really, I do. I find flying really magical. Okay. If, if, for really lack of a better word, flying is complete magic. Would you say you were inspired by the Wright brothers? Do you have any connection to them? I, I like their name. Yeah. Um, it's just right. And the, that magic that I, I, I love, that you love the magic. I do. No, I, 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 traveling's great. I like traveling. It was. I don't really get upset on planes. It was dashed last night i oh, i know I'm, I'm a big fan of airline freebies like 
few and far between these days. But when you can, you go on standby. They just lavish you with money and tickets and upgrades. Like if you if you are a flexible flyer, if you are a flexible flyer, you can make the airlines work for you. Ooh, go on. I, I'm I, interested. I I, I have. I have hundreds of dollars I've gotten from Southwest for simply waiting for two hours. And I, I don't know about uh, listeners of this program and their average income, but I make about $200 for waiting two hours. That's good. So $100 for one of my hours is a very, that's a very good hour. Yeah. Um, and maybe you listeners too would be interested in these hours. Are you sure you want to give away all your secrets? I, I'm comfortable giving okay. away my secrets. Okay. Uh, I, uh, but I was flying on U.S. Airways this past week and encountered true disaster. Uh, uh, so uh, um, as I was, I was checking in in Austin, Texas, a, a beautiful city. Um, as I'm checking in Austin, Texas. Shipping was, up to Austin. <laughs> I'm, I'm warned. I'm warned. Your flight connecting in and out of Phoenix might be running a little late, but everything's laid in. Everything's laid out. Okay, Trent. And in the back of my mind, I'm thinking this is this is great. And they they told me like, and if there's any problem, you know, we put you up hotel for the night. You're okay. That sounds great. That, yeah, honestly, I'd rather sleep in a hotel for the night than my own apartment. Right. Um, you become you become guy from the hotel. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I, I was very excited for this. Um, and this was this was the last of on this this the single trip. This was my twelfth flight of this one oh yeah because you trip. to refresh our guests you were in tampa you were in korea you were in san francisco you're bouncing around all all over yeah. my 12th flight and it's the it's the first one that i miss and i miss because i got off the plane i was told that my flight to burbank had already departed phoenix i was heartbroken and oh. continued to customer relations to redeem my free night at a marriott or fairfield in the latita oh. embassy oh pick your pick your passion that's amazing <laughs> really whatever phoenix had to offer i was game uh but then i, I got a call with a loudspeaker passenger uh, uh complex please please come to um your gate and so i i should be honest here i did not run i did not jog i just walked briskly in the direction that i was supposed to walk in mm. Uh, it was in a, a different time. Because you didn't necessarily want to make the flight in hopes that you would be able to redeem this awesome yes, prize yes, at the a, end of the a, tunnel. A free, a free hotel room. Yeah. Um, and so I, I, uh, I get there, and everybody else is really mad. Like, people are very upset in this line. And I, I couldn't quite figure it out. Like, like whatever. Like, worst place to be than Phoenix. So I'm, I'm very excited, and I'm waiting in line with all these angry people, and I like happily, you know, I think I'm going to make this woman's day at the checkout counter, that there's someone so happy to see her. And I'm chatting, and I'm talking to her, and I'm like, okay, so, you know, I missed my flight, this happened. She's like, oh, okay, we'll handle that right up for you, and, you know, everything's very cordial. And then she's like, oh, and here's a voucher for a, $50, a, a $40 stay at Marriott Fairfield Inn. I was like, God, that... There must be some mistake. Yeah, this, this clearly you're thinking of a different person. Yeah. Um, I was promised free room, free and she, board. And she claimed that because it was the problem of Phoenix air traffic control, that U.S. Airways was not responsible for my place to stay for the evening. Hmm. Which is also kind of weird because I believe Phoenix is a huge hub for U.S. Air. Uh, so, so I think U.S. Air would have some say in any air traffic. Yes, and I, I have no recourse. I have no way... To get um, compensation from Arizona Traffic Control. Yeah, Arizona what are you gonna do? Like Phoenix? send them a postcard? Yeah, there's nothing yeah. I can do. So it's, it's truly it's not fair. Ended up paying sixty dollars for my room. 
Okay. Uh, an outright travesty. Yeah, I know. I know. It, again, could be worse, but still, when you're trying to when you're trying to like get against the system, I understand you're upset. And the fact that I could probably have gone faster and gotten onto my flight that night. Right. Which is my fault completely, but not totally. So Arizona, Austin. All the A's in your life sounds like a hoot. Sounds like it wasn't an easy A, but it was good. <laughs> what was um, what was South Korea like this go around? Oh, you know, uh, you tend to frequent that odd country. <laughs> I so last year I was in, I was in South Korea. I, I very much made an effort to go to all the temples to like eat all the food and really give Korea a try. Uh, this year, for whatever reason, I was just I was over it. Yeah, uh, like. <laughs> I, I had spent two weeks teaching and then had like three days in Seoul and I was I was just done. Tired? With South Korea. You missed America. I miss. I, I did. Yeah. I, I missed America. USA. Um, and this guy I was staying with, he had just broken up with his girlfriend. I wanted to stay in a hostel, but he was like, no, no, no. Like, you know, having company will really help me out. So I was like, okay, fine. So we were going out. Hostel to a hostel situation. <laughs> Uh, me and this guy were going out every single night. Yeah. Um, at in like these bars and like the American part of town, and it's like kind of sleazy and it's, I, I, uh, clubs aren't really my scene. <laughs> like, dancing will never really attract a mate towards me. Uh, but here, here I am. I'm going out every night, and then this one night, my uh, traveling companion. He's not a traveler. He, he lives in Seoul. <laughs> My friend Evan uh, found himself with uh, this, this much older woman. They were getting acquainted, and I he sort of lost sight of him. And then I, I couldn't find him. This guy just vanished. Oh, no. And we, there were like three places we were going to go that night. I walk around to three places. He's nowhere to be found. So I figured, oh, he must have gone home. Right. You know, and there's, a, there's and like, whatever. There, there's, a, there's a girl there. I don't care. Like, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll sleep on a couch. It's, it's okay. Um, then I get to his apartment. The lights are all off, and the door is locked. Oh no! Disaster again. The, the, this disaster idea didn't even really occur to me. What time is it? it it's it's about two a.m. Okay. Uh, but but keep in mind, in South Korea, it wouldn't be uncommon for him to stay out till four or five, and not, not come back. Uh, so I, I figure I might have about two hours of being locked out. Um, my first instinct is. To just sleep there. I figure, you know, homeless people sleep outside all the time. Those Occupy Wall Street guys slept outside all the time. Zuccotti like, Park. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> this can't be that hard. Mm -hmm. It is. It was, <laughs> according to my iPhone, it was 28 degrees. Oh, no. So I lay down, and I, I didn't have even a hat. I wrapped my scarf around my head and just closed my eyes. I don't know if any listeners have ever tried to sleep outside in mm -hmm. the cold, but it's just your body like tells you not to. Like, Did you use any tricks? Because sometimes people think um, of some fun ways to avoid thinking about being cold. Did you come up with anything? Uh, well, I, I um, first, um, as you know, a twenty-something, my reaction was to Google it: how to sleep outside in the cold. And <laughs> how to sleep? Google. <laughs> Ask Jeeves. He's on vacation. <laughs> When you ask Google how to sleep outside the cold, they tell you to buy a good sleeping bag. So, that, <laughs> so that, that, that was out of the question. And so I'm sitting on this porch, 
and I'm overlooking this this American army base in the middle of Seoul. That's terrifying. <laughs> That's absolutely terrifying. <laughs> and, but like the moon's out, it's a clear night, and I look up at the moon and I see the American flag fluttering over the barbed wire. Well, that's patriotic. Yeah. This is right after King Jong-il died. Right within weeks. Mm. Um, we're still within weeks, I guess. Uh, and so I'm looking at the moon, I'm thinking, man, I'm so so proud to be from the only country that's ever put a man on, on the moon. USA. Um, and so I, I think, like, okay, what I'll do is I'll focus on the moon and not think about being cold, and I'll just drift off to sleep through my focus on the moon. Sort of like when you fall asleep reading, but I didn't have anything to read. Except Google. <laughs> This, this also, this does not work. Oh, no. Because I was looking at the moon, I was thinking about how hot it must be on the side of the moon that I can see, and then I was calculating if I was colder than it is on the shadowy parts of the moon. The dark side of the moon. Or the sea of tranquility. Yes. Yeah. Um, so this also isn't working. So I, I, I walk down to, there's these bathhouses, and when you when I say bathhouses as, like as like a possible place to stay, people get the wrong idea. But this is very common in South Korea. Like, if you think of bathhouses as just, like, um, you know, a place to take a shower and sleep. Like a, like a very open YMCA, but with no, like, gym equipment. Uh, so, <laughs> so not at all like a YMCA. <laughs> just a room. That's what you're telling me. Basically. But a, a, room, a room to sleep for about $10. Okay. Um, so I, I, I get... So uh, less expensive than the Marriott of Phoenix. Significantly less expensive than the Marriott of Phoenix. And at this point, it's like 3 o'clock in the morning. I finally find this Jim Jilbong. <laughs> Korean word of the day. Jim Jilbong. That's bathhouse. Um, I get to this Jim Jilbong. And it's like 3 a.m. And normally at these things, you go to a reception counter. Men go left and girls go right. But there was just the reception counter. On my left was like the locker room where people were sleeping. There's like heated floors. It's so nice. And on the This doesn't sound nice. <laughs> It really, I mean, yeah, I guess when you're as cold as I was. <laughs> it's all the four seasons. And so then I look to my right. and Mostly winter. <laughs> winter, winter, winter. And I look to my right, there's like the showers and the hot tubs and the normal parts of this, you know, this complex, this gym gym Everybody's Stop a, that. Everybody's asleep. So I just sort of go about my business. I take a hot shower. I sit in this hot tub. No one's asked you anything. No one's asked me anything because everyone's asleep. Everyone's also female, and all <laughs> everything's decorated in pink and flowers. Uh, there's like everything's a bit nicer than it normally is when I'm at these places. How often are you there? <laughs> everyone's wondering. I, 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 I've gone to two. two okay. Part of this. Okay. Enough to like know my way of like what a standard Jim Jilbong should look like. <laughs> so I get the idea that this is an all-female Jim Jilbong, <laughs> and I lay down. And I figure it'd be it'd be inappropriate to like take off my shirt or something, so like I, I have like my sweater and my coat on, and I'm just I, I'm laying down like with my hands behind my head, very Ferris Bueller yes. type look. And I figure how I'll do this is I'll take my glasses off and pin the equivalent of ten dollars to my shirt under my glasses. So this way, even though I'm asleep, they won't wake me up because they'll know I can pay mm. when I do wake up. That makes sense. About an hour and a half later, I'm woken up by three older Korean women just yelling. Like, it, uh, and I don't know many words in Korean. You so know, Jim Jilbong. Jim Jilbong. Uh, and so, like, I, I hold up the money and sort of, like, try to go back to laying down. It wasn't happening. I got grabbed by, like, the elbow and, like, taken up. And 
I, I was like, try, if, if I, they could speak English, or if I like haggled for a place to stay, be like, hey, can I like, you know, just stay here? I have nowhere to go. Um, no. No. Well, it sounds like an amazing night. How did it end? Well, eventually I, I got back to the apartment after this because I thought, well, my friend Evan better be home or I'm going to sit in the family mart drinking coffee. Yeah. And miraculously he was home. He had taken the blanket off the couch I was sleeping on, so I had to sleep in like a towel wrapped around me. Well, you're used to it with the bathhouses. <laughs> um, well, we're happy you made it there. We're happy, more importantly, you're back in the United States, the country that put the man in the moon, the country that gave you Google so you could find out that you needed a sleeping bag when you're outside alone in the cold all four seasons of winter. Um, and Guy from my apartment complex, thank you for dropping by, and um, we uh, wish you well, and we can't wait to hear, to hear more from you. See you around. All right, that's our program. Thank you so much for taking the time to check us out. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. We want to take this moment to thank our guests. Thanks to Tracy Strand, Nicholas Wells, Guy from My Apartment Complex. Special thanks to Sammy J for the rhythms. Thanks to Bop, as always. Thank you, Trent. You'll see us next time, or you'll hear us next time, on TP with TP. That's the podcast with Tom Polos. There's always more at thepolosgrounds.com. Happy New Year's.